have a Bible with you, would you please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. Gospel of Mark chapter 6. You've heard it already this morning, the word miracles. Miracles. We've sang about miracles. In fact, just a little while ago, we prayed for miracles. Not only me leading you, but, but also others coming forward and asking God to supernaturally touch them. Last week, we begin to look at a miracle that is recorded here in Mark chapter 6. By miracle, by miracle I mean something that is not fully explained by natural terms or by natural law. It is by, by its very definition supernatural or beyond the natural. You know, there are a lot of things if you, uh, if you if you are sick with something and you can go and you can get a, uh, a drug or an injection or some kind of therapy and it will, it will have a natural effect upon you. This is not like, this is supernatural. It is beyond the normal. Something that God clearly accomplishes in response to prayer, in response to our faith, and often in response to our actions Jesus performed many miracles. Um, you, you see it, <clears throat> excuse me, throughout the Gospels. You see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You see a lot of it in the book of Acts. You see it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. You see miracles of healing where, where people were some kind of an infirmity that was sometimes curable, perhaps by other means, but oftentimes incurable. And you, you see these supernatural miracles of healing physical healing. You also see miracles of deliverance. Uh, we, we sang earlier how demons have to run and flee at the name of Jesus in his majesty. And uh, we, we, we've seen that already here in the book of, of Mark. And, and you see it throughout the Gospels where Jesus would come upon a person or a person would encounter Jesus who is demonically possessed and, and they would be supernaturally delivered. So miracles of Deliverance, we see miracles within nature, Jesus walking on the water, Jesus calming a storm. We serve a miracle-working God. We serve a God who, who goes beyond the normal. By the way, He made the laws. He made the laws of nature, and, and, and He alone has the authority and the power to supersede them because He's God. Um, we, we sang earlier, I believe, I believe in you, I I trust in Him. Not so much, I, I don't have faith in miracles. I have a faith in the miracle maker in Jesus Christ. Well, Mark chapter 6 records a powerful miracle of provision. And so so you've, got, you've got healing and deliverance and, and miracles in nature. And you also see, oftentimes in Scripture, miracles of supernatural provision. In fact, this miracle is so powerful that uh, it is recorded in all four Gospels. Now, that's unusual. Uh, each, each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record many miracles, but only two miracles are mentioned in all four Gospels. That is, number one, Jesus' resurrection, which arguably is the greatest miracle ever. And the other miracle that is mentioned, in, the only other miracle that is mentioned in all four Gospels is this particular miracle which tells you or gives you an idea of how significant this was to the early church, how, how much it meant to them and really 
um, how much they went back to it. We read much of this miracle last week, so let's read it again. Starting with verse 34, it reads this way. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send the people away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. They said to him, Sir, or shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Let me explain. 200 denarii would be roughly eight or even nine months of one person's annual income. It, it was a sizable, many, it would be comparable today to many, many thousands of dollars. Verse 38, And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups, groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven, said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Verse 42 says, And they all ate and were satisfied. They took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. So, here's this large group of people that had gathered to hear Jesus. In one of the other Gospels, it mentions that Jesus was also healing people. So people weren't there just to hear Him, but people were also there to experience His power. Jesus had been ministering publicly for about two years now. And word, of course, had gotten around that Jesus, the miracle worker, was in the area. And so we know the backstory of this. We looked at it last week and how the crowd, Jesus and the disciples trying to get away from the crowd, get in a boat, but the crowd anticipates where they're going. They run around the shore, probably gathering even more people as they go, so that when they land, the people, the crowd, is waiting there for them. A large crowd says here, verse 44, that there were about 5,000 men. So when you factor in uh, the women and the children, some have said that this, there were perhaps 10,000 or more people. It was a massive crowd. And it also tells us here that they had gathered so quickly, they'd, they'd come together so quickly, so rapidly, that they brought nothing to eat. And because it was a remote place, suddenly what we have here, the disciples know it. They inform Jesus, although he knew it, he's Jesus. Uh, but the disciples say, we have a potentially dangerous situation. We're all out here in this remote place. There's no food. What are we going to do? And so there's some concern happening. So the disciples brought this concern to Jesus. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Now remember, as we looked at last week, Jesus is exhausted. Excuse me, the disciples are exhausted. And, and Jesus wants to take them away. But, but now Jesus says to, say, says to the disciples, you give them something to eat. And, and, and again, how, how that must have been a hard thing to hear when you're already exhausted. There's only 12 of you and you're supposed to feed perhaps as many as 10 
thousand people. You give them something to eat, Jesus said. The disciples, under Jesus' direction, go and they find out what's available. They came back. Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? The disciples replied, we have five loaves and we have two fish. Help me out here, Austin. Thank you. Five loaves. Five loaves. There are five in here. Five loaves of bread, probably smaller than this, and two fish. (laughs) Still sealed. This has been sitting on my desk for a whole week, and I'll tell you what, that's been hard. If if you want to share it with me afterwards, I'll be be in the foyer, and and we can can break uh, fish together. Uh, uh, Five loaves and two fish. That's all. It's it. Now, Again, all four Gospels record this miracle. This is, this again, with the resurrection is unique. All four Gospels mention it. And John, John's Gospel gives us just a little bit more detail. John chapter 6, verse 9 tells us the disciple named Andrew was the one who actually came to Jesus. And he said to Jesus, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So again, John gives some details that the other gospel writers did not. First of all, it's Andrew who was the person who came and spoke to Jesus. The, it, the, 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 the food that had been gathered, the only person who, we don't know the backstory, we don't know why he had food and others didn't, but, but, but it was a boy or a lad, some translations put it, came and, and brought the food. It was, it was the boy's food. And I don't think that it was taken from him. I don't think Andrew, give me the food, kid. It wasn't anything like that. Uh, Jesus would not have uh, honored that. But, but a, a child came, and, and, and this was the food that was available. And also says they were barley loaves, two fish. But I want you to notice, I want you to notice the last part of Andrew's statement. You see it on the screen there in front of you. Perhaps you see it there in your hands as you're holding your Bibles. But I want you to notice the the last part of Andrew's statement. He said, what are they for so many? Just six words. See it there? What are they for so many? What are they for so many? I I can see, Andrew, you don't have to have a real vivid imagination to picture this. Andrew is standing there and maybe he's holding the food or he's got his hand on the shoulder and the boy's holding his food. But I can, I can see Andrew holding this and he said, uh, he said what, is, what is this? Looking down at the food. And then he looks over at the crowd. He's speaking to Jesus. He says, what is this or what is that? He looks at the crowd for so many. So, so picture that. What is that? For so many, looks at the crowd of 10,000. What is that? What is this for so many people? I can see the other disciples. You know, they're around because they have this responsibility. This is all the, fo- the food that they've found. And, and they come to Jesus and Jesus says, you feed them. And, and, and they're looking at it too. They look down at the food and they say, what is that? And they look at the crowd for so many. What is that? so many. You ever done this? Not, not, not in a 
Not in a remote place with a kid's sack lunch. I, I, don't, I don't mean that. But have you ever done this? You're called to do something big. Perhaps God puts something on your heart. Or he places before you an opportunity. And it's big. It's big. But you start with so little. You ever been there? You ever been in a place where all of a sudden the opportunity is before you and, and you look at it and you go, this is what I have to start with? And I have all of that to do? What is this for so many? <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever said something like this? <laughs> Lord, I have so much to do. And I have so little time. Lord, you, you told me to go pray for that, that person, and I don't even like them. You, you called me to lead. You called me to lead, but I'm already so tired, and so busy. I already have a full schedule. What is this for so many or for so much? How many of you, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have been in a place like this where you know that you're supposed to expand that business or take that new job with greater, much greater responsibilities? You're to start studying that thing that, that you know is just going to be a huge mountain to climb and, and you, look at, you, look, you look at the enormity of what is before you and you look at what you currently have and you essentially say, what is that? For so many. You ever been there? Or how about this one? Uh, uh, God, your word tells me to forgive. Forgive someone, but I don't have it in me. It's not there. Or, God, you, you called me to give to a great task. And, and, I, and, I, and I barely have enough food to make it or money to make it as it is. What is this for so many? What is this for so much? You ever have moments like those? Where you have so much to do, a great task before you, with so little to begin. Can you look back in your history, long or short, somewhere in between, can you look back in your history and remember that occasion when you had so much beginning with so little? Now, I need to add something as well. I don't want to move on from this because the best is yet to come, but I, I, I need to point this out as well that I have found, and perhaps you have found as well, that the enemy of our souls, Satan, has a way of overwhelming us by the size of the task and tempting us to surrender because of the smallness of our resources. Let me say that again. The enemy has a powerful way, not good, I'm not delighting in this of course, but the enemy of our souls, Satan, has a way of maximizing the responsibilities and the need and the task before us while he also will tempt us to surrender by minimizing 
the resources that we have. Some of you are familiar with that great Old Testament story, true story, of course, about a a giant. His name was Goliath. And while we often associate Goliath with a man named David, don't forget what happened before that. Goliath was this, this Philistine, this enemy, this, this person who wanted to defeat the people of God. He was nine feet tall. He was the biggest thing going. He was this living, breathing tank of a man. And he challenged the army of God's people, the Jewish army, to send out their man. The Bible says that the the Jewish people, the soldiers of the Jewish army, hid in their tents and shook with fear when the giant was out there. What 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 was happening? Just what I mentioned. The enemy has a way of maximizing the task, maximizing the enemy, maximizing the opposition, making it bigger than what it really is, and while minimizing the resources that we have. And say, you got nothing. The enemy will do that. The enemy will whisper and sometimes shout in your ear, the task is too big and you don't have what it takes. He will tell that to you. And he will try to defeat you even before the battle takes place, even before the miracle comes. I wonder how many times I guess only God knows, but I wonder how many times a miracle was about to happen, but someone gave up because the task, the task seemed too large and their resources seemed too small. How many miracles, see the word, how many miracles were this close to happening, were just a, a hair's breadth from happening, but people quit People surrendered, people left the battlefield, people gave up, people ran for the hills because they believed the task was too large and their resources too small. The miracle was, purposely use this word, the miracle was aborted. The miracle died before it even had a chance to hardly grow at all, become a reality. Many people have asked, maybe you've wondered, why, why don't miracles happen today like at other times? Or why do, why do miracles happen in other places, but they don't seem to happen much where I live? Perhaps, perhaps in part, perhaps in part, it is because God's people quit when the task appears too great and the resources seem too small. When we essentially say, what is that for so many? And they quit. See, here's what I think. Here's what I think would have happened. Uh, this, is, uh, this is dangerous because it's kind of like revisionist. What could have happened? I think that the disciples were just perfectly fine to say, hey, you know what? You told us to go find the food, and we did what you told us to do, but 
you know what we have? We just found this one kid, and it's and it's and it's 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 all, all we have is five little loaves and one can of sardines. And I don't even I don't like them in oil. I like them in mustard. I think the disciples, remember, they were exhausted. Remember, they came into this tired. Remember, Jesus had promised them earlier in the day, hey, today we're going to go to a quiet, solitude place, and you're going to get some rest. I think the disciples were, were, were thinking to themselves, you know what, if we just send these people home to get some food in their own homes, in their own villages, then maybe we can get a little bit of R&R that Jesus was talking about. What is this for so many? And what could have happened, what could have happened is a miracle, a miracle that was so significant to the gospel writers that all four of them included it. It was so powerful to the early church that they kept going back to it. Was almost missed and would have been missed if it would have been left to some disciples who said, what is this for so many? Oh, just getting to the best part. Something else I want you to see. It's back in Mark chapter 6. So if you turn to John 6, go back to Mark 6. Because Mark chapter 6, verse 41, it again says this. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. I want you to see what happened here. I want you to see what happened here in this text. While the disciples, while the disciples were looking over at a huge crowd, 10,000, maybe more people, and while they were looking down at a small amount of food, it says, Jesus looked up to heaven and he blessed it. Do you understand the significance of that? The disciples were looking down at the limited resources and looking over at the enormous task. But Jesus, it doesn't say that he looked down at one and over at the other. It says here, you see it right there in front of you, Jesus looked up into heaven and he blessed it. He looked up. He looked up. So often we can be so distracted and defeated by looking down at what we don't have and looking over at what we have to do instead of looking up at the one who created everything and say, oh God, it's you I trust. Now, now, now look at it again. It says here, taking the, the five loaves and, and, and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven. He said a blessing. By the way, um, Later on, you're going to go out to a meal, and, and some of you may be in restaurants, maybe in your home, someplace else, you may get fast food and eat in your car. I don't care. Wherever you are, ask God to bless the food. It's scriptural. We don't do that because, well, that's what Christians, no, no, just bless it. And you know what? You, you, know, uh, you will bless someone else when they see you asking God's blessing on your food. So that's just beside. But Jesus, Jesus He took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and blessing it, he broke the loaves. And here's what I think happened. Just, and you keep your eyes on me. Here's, here's what I think happened. I, I, I don't know exactly the details. I, I, please, I, how, this, how this all transpired, someday I'm going to know. I don't know 
but I think that the miracle happened somewhere right in there. And, and now you have two of one. And I don't know if he took another one and it, and it like, and it just, it just grew. Uh, I, or or, or in, in passing it out to a group of 50, again, as I shared last week, they, they passed it and it went down one roll. And like in any potluck, somebody grabs more than they usually should. And, 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 and they go, why is he eating so much? But, but it gets to the end of the roll and they're still, the bucket is still full. Or, the, or the, 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 the loaf of bread is just as, there's just a little bit taken out and they pass it to the next row and there's more and there's more and there's more and it's just like it never runs out. I don't know exactly how it happened. I do know this. It happened. It happened. The miracle happened. Because in the moments that followed, it records that thousands of people were filled with nourishing food. And, and not only that, but, but I think as to, to send a signal... It wasn't that everybody, everybody got enough. We got just a little bit more. It's not much. It's just, you know, it's a fishtail and it's a crumb. But, you know, anybody else? No. It says there were 12 basketfuls left over. That's pretty powerful. Um, I don't know, I don't know exactly, you know, what the correlation is. There were 12 disciples. There were 12 baskets. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I might come back to that just a little bit here later, but, but he multiplied it. And Jesus, Jesus still works miracles. He works miracles when instead of always looking down at what we don't have or the little that we have or the limitations that we have or the lack that we have or what we don't have, I guess, and instead of looking down on what we don't have and over at the enormous task in front of us, we look up to God and say, oh Lord, I, I don't know how, but I look to you to work a miracle. I had fully prepared to share a uh, personal testimony. And then... Four o'clock this morning, I woke up and I just know I wasn't supposed to share my testimony because, well, for one, I don't want it focused on just one way in which he provides. But there have been many times in my life when Jesus provided supernaturally. I could, I could actually talk for probably two or three hours of the occasions in which it seems like I didn't have enough. Either as a, as a single person, there wasn't enough of something. As a young married man, as a father, a first-time father, as a new pastor, I, I remember times when there just there wasn't there wasn't enough of something. Pastoring here, all there have been times where it's just it's like God, oh, it just doesn't seem like we have quite enough. And I'm not talking just don't 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 go just to the financial end of it. That's just one part, because there's so many times where you go, I don't have enough strength. How many times have you said, oh God, I don't have the strength to do this. I don't have the time to do this. I don't have the desire to do this. I don't have the power to do this. Or you look over and you see the enormity of the task and you say, how can we do this? It's not even humanly possible. It's so big. I have so little. 
And how many of you, someone told you it couldn't be done, or it wouldn't be done, or it shouldn't be done, because you don't have what it takes. How many of you can look back on a moment, maybe it was just this morning, say, I want to do this, I feel called to do this, I have to do this, I don't have what it takes. Well, i got great news for you today. Jesus still works miracles. He's still a miracle maker. He's still a God who takes the limitations of what we have, so small. He transforms it. I don't know how. And I don't know how he's going to do it in your life. I don't know how. I don't know your stories, and many of you could recount stories and share them with each other. Don't all share them with me. Share them with each other. Over lunch today, after you pray for the meal, you start talking and tell them, you know what, boy, what pastor said today. Who wasn't that good preaching, by the way? Yeah, you can go ahead and add that in there as well. But, but just say something like, Boy, that was powerful. Let me, let me tell you about how, a time when Jesus provided for me. And you give him the glory. And make sure you give him the glory because sometimes we can go, oh, look at what I did. No, look what he did. Because, because instead of looking down, what you don't have, or looking over at the enormous task, we look up to the one who is, the, in fact, there's a name, uh, Jehovah Jireh, which means my God provides miraculously provides. We, uh, we know this is near, this, this occasion is near the second Passover that Jesus would spend with his disciples. One of the Gospels indicates that. This is coming up on <clears throat> Passover time. And... Um, very significant time in the in the uh, Jewish calendar, and um, I mention that because we know that one year after this, Jesus and the disciples, now not a crowd, no no group of five thousand, ten thousand, just thirteen. We saw it kind of dramatized here about three weeks ago. Would gather together and Jesus, excuse me, would once again take bread and he would, he would bless it and he would break it and he would distribute it to them. I don't know if they thought this, but some of the disciples had to remember, oh, hey, Andrew hitting his brother Peter. Hey, Pete, remember a year ago? I wonder if we're going to get leftovers. I don't know if that's what they thought, but I remember when we broke bread that other time. And, and Jesus would do that. And then, and then we know that in the hours that followed that, Jesus would be betrayed and arrested and beaten and humiliated and crucified. He would die on that cross. And on the third day following, he would be raised from the dead. And then, for a few weeks, he would be uh, with the disciples before he ascended into heaven. And then about 10 days later, 
His Holy Spirit came and transformed the church. But just before he left, he commanded his disciples. Now remember, keep this in perspective. This was a year before all of that was to happen. But what did Jesus do? He taught his disciples something that day. Oh, he taught the crowd, the crowd of 10,000 who were just in awe of this. Sure, none of them forgot it. But he taught something to the disciples that day, and that is that in God's strength, we can do anything. I point all of that time sequence out because one year later, a little bit more than one year later, Jesus, just before he ascended into heaven, after he rose from the dead, Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world and tell them, tell every people's group, tell all people, literally people's groups, ethnicities. Ta ethne is the, is the Greek. Tell all people's groups about me. Now, now that's a tall order. You think telling a group of 12 to go and feed 10,000 is something? And at first they went, huh, that's not going to happen. This is all we have. Here's what I think happened. One of the things that happened that day. It wasn't that simply bellies were filled and leftovers were taken home. A message was also sent to 12 disciples and to all the followers of Jesus Christ that what he gives us to do, though it may be a tall order and a big job, he's also given, given us the means to do it. Jesus said, go into all the world. Most of these guys haven't been out of country. Many of them, a big deal was going down to Jerusalem. Most of them were from Galilee. But Jesus is telling them to go into all the world and tell every people's group about me. I don't think it overwhelmed them. I don't think they ran for the hills saying, that's too big of a job. I think what happened is they remembered back to an occasion where Jesus fed 5,000 plus people miraculously. So when they heard the word go into all the world and tell all people about me, I think, you know what they did? I think they went, I don't know how, but I know who. So you have a task in front of you. I don't know what it is, but you have a task in front of you. You have an enormous task. I don't know what it is. But please, this morning, we're going to go to prayer here in just a moment. In fact, I'm going to ask the, uh, the musicians if they will go ahead and prepare themselves as you also are preparing yourselves. You see, here's what I want you to do. Or actually, two things I don't... Here's, here's three things that you're going to do. You're going to, you're going to look down and you're going to see your limitations. And they're real. There was no change in the fact that the miracle started with five loaves and two fish. You're going to look down and you're going to see the limitations that you have. You're going to look over and you're going to see the task that is before you which is immense. But you're also going to look up and you're going to say, Oh Jesus, you the one who helped them in that long ago place in that far off wilderness, you are the one who somehow, some way, I don't know how, I don't even know when, but I know who. It's you. I'm going to look up. I'm not going to just look down. I'm not simply going to look over. I'm going to look up. 
Some of you have some big things right now. You don't know how, but you need to know who. I'd like you to stand with me, please, across this sanctuary. We're going to go to a place of prayer. We're going to open up these altars. An altar is a place of, where we meet with God. We can meet with God any place. I know that. There's something very powerful when we come together and we say, Lord, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to come. And so we're, we're going to sing this song, and then I'll, I'll give some final directions, but then just get, get ready. Some of you who are fixated on what little you have and what you have to do, you're going to step forward. You're going to walk down the aisle. You're going to gather at these altars. There may be someone to pray with you. There may not be. But it's really you and Jesus. And you're going to look up. I'll give you some more directions in a moment. But would you begin preparing your hearts? Let's sing this together, a song that we sang earlier. And it simply says this, Our God is able. Sing it together. Lift up your voice and as we sing these words, I want you to let them register in your spirit. Our God is able. ultimately wants to stop all the glory going to him the enemy wants to defeat you and you are fixated on the enormity of the task and the smallness of your resources and I'm saying in an act of faith I want you to step forward and don't, don't think about anyone else but I want you to step forward I want you to come to these altars and and would you do this also 
I'm going to ask you to maybe pray in a little bit different way than you, you're, you used to. But come to these altars. You can stand. You can kneel. But I want you to do this. I want you to literally, with your head, I want you to look up. You can close your eyes. You can open them up. I don't care. But I want you to look up as, a, as an action of faith to say, Lord, I'm not looking down. I'm not looking over. I'm looking up. I'm going to do what you did. And I'm going to trust you to work a miracle are going to be coming forward. When you're done praying, God bless you. You're dismissed. If you need to go now, go now. But these altars are going to be open. You need a miracle. We still serve a miracle working God. If you need a miracle, they are small. Small big. Small small to God. Think to us. Small to God. You need a miracle. You come down. You look up. Let's sing it together again. And we'll continue singing. God bless you as you pray, as you go. Go in the power of Jesus Christ. He will go in.